He's good. And we, we talked about it last week. You may have to wait, but you will never be disappointed. And that's the hope we have today. And so, so knowing what our future holds, knowing who holds our future, knowing what's going to happen, there should not be a group of people who laugh more than the people in this room who can look forward at the future and smile. And that's our premise this morning. Why don't you have a seat? This morning, that is exactly what we are going to talk about. We are going to talk about a favorite topic of mine. Um, I know it may surprise you when you hear this, that it's a favorite topic of mine, but we're going to talk about humor. What a great time to talk about humor, right? When you, when you consider um, what it is that we have in Jesus Christ, when you consider what it is that he's done for us, it, it's, it's easy for us to, um, well, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry. I got all caught up in the, in the worship thing. I should pray. Why don't you pray with me, would you please? Um, while I'm praying, if, if you're like on the outside and there's like four or five seats in the middle, you don't mind scooching a little, that would be like fantastic. We have a few people who are still looking for seats in here. So if you wouldn't mind doing that while I pray, I promise I won't peek. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Thank you that we can come and we have a reason to celebrate, not just because we're, we're, we're trying to be excited about something that's not really all that exciting. God, we, we have the opportunity to celebrate something that is more than just exciting. It's, it's, it's life-giving. We get to celebrate the fact that you are a good God who loves us and who's in control. You're not just a good God with no power. You're a God who has all the power. You're a God who has all the glory. And Father, I pray that today in our response to your word, that we would celebrate you well. We love you. Thanks for Christ. It's in his good name I pray. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 17 is going to kind of be our, our launching point, Proverbs chapter 17. Um, we should laugh. There you go, that's a good start. Somebody laughed right away. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. It was very nice, Lori. Um, we should laugh. There's, there's nobody with a better reason to laugh than us. There's no greater news than sin has been conquered and death has been overcome as Jesus resurrected from the dead. There's no greater news. So, so we should be a people who enjoy a really good belly laugh. We should be a people who laugh so hard when they're eating they shoot milk out their nose. Right? That's who we should be. We should, be, we should laugh till we cry. We should enjoy the enjoyable because in Nehemiah 8, it even talks about this, as they open up the book of the law and they hadn't read it for so very long. And as it's being read, the people begin to weep and to mourn. And the challenge that the people, the men bring to the people is, no, 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 don't mourn, don't mourn. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And today we celebrate the fact, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is also cheaper than therapy. So we're going to stick with the, the joy of the Lord because Proverbs chapter 17 says this, a joyful heart is good medicine. A broken spirit is the thing that dries up the bones. A joyful heart is a good medicine. Ecclesiastes, also written by this man who wrote Proverbs, the man Solomon, the King Solomon, says this, there is a time to weep. There's a time to, to, to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. But, but right now, in this moment, right now, what we are going to enjoy is looking at God's word and allowing the moments of laughter and joy to overfill us. So, so the, the couple of things before we get there. Um, I'm aware of the fact that most Christians um, aren't exactly the most enjoyable to hang out with. Most is probably overstatement, but you know exactly who I'm talking about. 
And if you don't know who I'm talking about, good news, it's you. So listen close, okay? So, so I'm aware of the fact that we, we do. We get, a, we get a rap for being a stodgy people. It's, it's this, and we're just grumpy all the time. I mean, there is no reason that we should be grumpy. There's absolutely no reason for it. I think sometimes we, we look at comedy, we look at humor in our culture today, and it, and it causes us to withdraw because we see vile comedy, we see evil humor, we see hurtful and vulgar humor, and that's the stuff that Satan uses. But please remember this. Satan doesn't create anything. He perverts things, but he can't create. God created humor. God created laughter. You and I need to redeem it. And so, come on, all right, all right. <laughs> Sorry, I won't do that again, I promise. Um, so, so as we look at that, though, here's a couple things that we need to keep in mind as we, as we talk about about humor. We have to be very careful in our humor that we don't use it to harm someone. Proverbs 26 says, like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was, I was only joking. You know those people, right? And, and what, what Solomon's trying to, to point out is understand that as, as good as joking can be at time, there are jokes that can be hurtful and saying just kidding doesn't undo the pain. So keep that in mind as we consider humor. Be careful not to harm someone and, and be careful that you're not overlooking the hurt in somebody when they're laughing because as Proverbs says in 14:13, laughter can conceal a heavy heart. But when the laughter ends, that grief remains. So, so as you look at people, remember those things. Pay attention that sometimes the people who are laughing the loudest or the longest are the people who are actually hurting the most. So as I, as I consider humor and laughter and, and fun stuff and funny stuff, I get asked oftentimes, is there humor in the Bible? And, and, and honestly, it's a difficult question to answer specifically because humor is incredibly subjective, isn't it? Humor is very subjective, so much so that um, you, you, you culturally, where you are culturally will demand what you find funny. If you watch British sitcoms, they're not funny, Right? See, but Americans, we like slapstick stuff, like the Three Stooges. That's, that's where we find ourselves. And then, I mean, this is cultural, so understand this, but Japanese humor is cruel. You know that, right? Let me, we're going to try this. this. This video was freaking out a little bit. But, but here is some from a, a television show in Japan showing some of the funny things, that they, what they think is funny anyway. So let's, let's see what happens. All right, so they decide they're going to set up this water fountain to shoot that high that hard, right? And, and so who comes along first? Of course, it's the little old lady. They think this is... Oh, you think it's funny too. All right, cool. Good to know. Slow motion's pretty good. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I like it too. But then comes the second dude. How far do you think his hat's going? <laughs> now, as you're watching this, they also have a show where they wake people up in the most cruel ways. So this next person you're going to see is in bed. He's a very solid sleeper. We're not sure why. They strap him to his bed and attach his bed to bungee cords. And this is how they wake him up. <laughs> Parents, there's a few ideas for you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
So, humor is very subjective. Now, the people thought that was hilarious. This poor little kid is evil. Um, but they, they, think, they think that's, that's hilarious, that the subjectiveness of humor makes it difficult to say if it's really funny or not, okay? So I just want to say that. So, so there's things that I'm going to find in the Bible that I think are hilarious, and you're not going to think it's funny at all. That's the subjectiveness of humor. It's kind of like asking somebody if Scrapple is good for breakfast. Very subjective. Very subjective. Actually, the answer is no. You might as well just eat a Dr. Stoll's odor eater. It's kind of the same flavor. So it's, it's a little, don't ask how I know that, by the way. Um, that's a whole different thing. But humor is so very subjective. But Frank, okay, I'm going to tell you right now, we're this far in the service, I'm already uncomfortable. I don't like laughing in church. No, remember, nobody should enjoy a good laugh more than those people who can look at the future with a smile. And, and, and sometimes, and actually most times that God uses humor in his word, what he's doing is he's calling out the familiarity that these people have with him, and they've become complacent. And so by interjecting his humor in different forms of humor, like sarcasm and irony and subtlety and some other things like that, by interjecting those things, what he's doing, he's drawing attention to something that these people should be paying attention to. So today, don't miss out on the lessons God has for you as he communicates using the tool of humor. Now, as you go through Scripture, there's a number of them, and honestly, I could spend hours on this, and I will not. Um, This is a great service to do this, though, because we have nothing but celebration in mind today. Um, As we we talk about humor, one of the things that I find really funny, and you may not, is in 2 Kings chapter 2, there's this new prophet named Elisha, and Elisha is going up a mountain, and a bunch of little kids see him going up the mountain, and they look at him, and they see that he's bald, and they start making fun of him. Go ahead, baldy! You go, baldy, baldy, baldy! And it says that Elisha looks at them, And it says he calls down a curse on them. And then two bears come out of the wilderness and eat 42 of the kids. That's funny. (laughs) Unless you're the kids, not so funny. But that's awesome. That's the the, the familiarity thing is is just interesting there. I'm not sure exactly what the theological point is in that. So I don't know. Call me bald this afternoon. Let's see how it goes. Um, (laughs) In 1 Kings 18, you have this awesome story how Elijah has called out all of the prophets of Baal to the top of Mount Carmel. And you know the story. He says, you know, we're going to have a battle, a battle between our gods. You say Baal is God, I say the Lord is God. So let's do this. Let's each take a bull. Let's cut it up. Let's build an altar. Let's put our bull on the altar. And then let's cry out to our God that he would send fire to consume that sacrifice, that offering. Says, are you in? And the, and the prophets of Baal are like, there's 450 of them. Sure, we're in. And Elijah actually gives them home court advantage and says, there's a lot of you, why don't you go first? And so the prophets of Baal get the bowl together and they, they cut it all up and they, they get ready to um, call out to their god, Baal. And, and so it says from morning till noon, they're dancing on the altar, they're screaming, they're shouting, they're calling out to their god, Baal. And around lunchtime, it seems that Elijah had been watching and, and you get to hear Elijah's comedy. And he says, about noontime, Elijah begins mocking them he says, you'll have to shout louder, for surely he's a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming, or maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> maybe he's away on a trip, or he's asleep, and he needs to be wakened. Okay, so, so Elijah's pulling no punches, like, maybe he's in the bathroom. You should shout louder. Keep it going, boys. And it says that the prophets of Baal begin cutting themselves, and, 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 and nothing happens. And, and, and in the end, you know the story that, that God ends up winning. Well, we may talk about that if we have time here in a couple seconds. So, so there's some sarcasm in there that, 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 that uh, Elijah throws. There's some irony greatest ironic story in all of scripture is the story of Queen Esther. There's so much irony packed into that, that one story. 
And, and my, my personal favorite is the fact that, that Haman is at home and he is on, he's being encouraged by his wife to go ask for the head of Mordecai. And Haman's like, all right, I'm going to go see the king first thing in the morning. I'm going to ask him. And at the same time that's happening over here, over here, King Xerxes can't sleep. And so what do you do when you can't sleep? Well, of course, you read about all of the wonderful things that have happened in the reign of your kingdom. And so he's one of his servants reading about this situation that arose where two men had um, hatched an assassination plot to take out King Xerxes. And yet this man named Mordecai, of all things, spoiled the plot. And the king hears that and he says, okay, now the custom of the Medes and Persians was this. The, the custom was I need to reward Mordecai greatly because if I reward him for spoiling a plot of assassination, then other people will see how good I am to that man and they in turn will be faithful to me and they in turn will have my back. And so he says, so, so what did we do to, to, to honor Mordecai? And the scribe's like, ah, nothing. You forgot. He's like, oh, we're going to need to fix that. And, and it's just that ironic moment when Haman is walking into the palace to ask the king if he can murder Mordecai. At the same time, the king is like, I wonder how we can honor Mordecai. And as Haman comes in, mind-blowing of all mind-blowing, Xerxes looks at Haman and says, you are such a high-ranking official in my kingdom. I need to ask you an opinion. Haman says, sure, anything. He says, what should I do for a man that I long to honor in front of everyone. The irony continues because Haman swells up with pride thinking the king wants to honor him. Oh, great king, what I think you should do is take your most noble steed. You should place this man upon it, put, put your robe upon him, put your crown upon him, and choose a high-ranking official in your cabinet to lead him through the streets, pointing to him and calling out at the top of his lungs, this is what happens to the man the king wants to honor. And the king says, what a great idea. You know that guy Mordecai? I'm going to do that for him. Oh, Haman, you're a high-ranking official. Why don't you lead him through the streets? And Haman, shout loud. Oh, the irony in that story is there to communicate to us that we have a God who will not forget his people ever. See, God uses irony and humor to drive that point home. You've got a lot of situations in Scripture you read, they're just straight up funny. You've got Moses on the mountain talking to God and then there's all this noise in the camp, and he comes down, and Joshua meets him and says, it sounds like there's a war going on down there. And, 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 and somebody's like, no, they're just singing, which means they weren't the best singers in the world, evidently. And so as Moses comes down, what he sees is that, that there is a golden calf built in front of the Israelites, and they're bowing to it and worshiping it and dancing around it and singing songs to it. And Moses is enraged, and he grabs his brother Aaron, who, who he had left in charge, says, Aaron, what happened? And Aaron says, you're not going to believe it. These people told me to build them a God, build them a God. and I, no, I'm not. I, they gave me their gold. We threw it in the fire, and pop, out came a calf. Isn't that amazing? Right. See how stupid we are when we sin and we try to get away with it? See, we make fun of our children sometimes, not in front of their faces, with their excuses. But here's a grown man doing the same thing. You've got the golden calf. You've got a great story in Numbers 22 where um, King Balak, the king of Midian, 
is seeing the Israelites advancing towards him, and he knows there is no way he's going to overcome these armies. And so he says, go get Balaam the prophet, and Balaam will come and have him pass a curse on these people so they won't beat us. And so the men run over to Balaam, and they're like, King Balak wants you to come and and, and bring down a curse on the Israelites, and he's like, I I talked to God, he said no. And so the guys go back, they're like, sorry, King Balak, he said no, he said, offer him anything. Go back to him. So they come back again, and they offered him, and Balaam says, listen, even if he was to give me all of his silver and gold, I still can't disobey God, but... Let me ask God again, just in case he changes his mind, and just in case the king actually wants to give me his silver and gold. So Balaam prays to God, and God says, okay, you know what? I told you no, but go ahead. And so, so Balaam begins to go towards King Balak, and he gets on the donkey. His intent is to offer a curse against the children of God. And as he is riding his donkey, it says that the, 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 the invisible to Balaam, this angel of the Lord appears in front of him, and the donkey's like, hee-haw, and goes that way, Right? Heads off into the field. And Balaam is angry. He starts, like, he starts beating on the donkey, trying to get him back in the path, get back in the path, and the, the donkey comes back in the path. He moves forward a little further, and the angel of the Lord shows up on, on one half of the road, and they're in this, this place where there's walls right along the side, so there's no escape for the donkey. So instead of running away, because it can't, it just gets up against the wall, and it says it crushes the leg of Balaam up against the wall, and Balaam is angry. Now he's like, move out of the way. You're hurting me. Stop it. And he keeps beating on the donkey. So then they continue a little further. Now the angel of the Lord is standing right in front of the donkey, and the donkey's like, eh eh. And he gets down on all fours, and it says he squats, he sits, and Balaam continues to beat on the head of the donkey until the donkey had had enough. And the donkey says, Why do you keep hitting me? And what's crazy is it doesn't even seem like it throws Balaam at all. He's like, Because you're not going where you're supposed to go. Sorry, if my donkey starts talking to me, I have a few other questions to ask before I answer his. And the donkey's like, no, no, you, you don't see. And then God opened Balaam's eyes, and he's got to see the, the angel of the Lord standing in front of them. So if a donkey can communicate truth, God can use me. So we'll keep moving. You got the story in Acts chapter 12. You've got Peter in prison, his life surely in danger, and you've got a prayer meeting happening at the house of Mary, and they're praying for Peter's release, right? And then the angel comes in the middle of the night, releases Peter, he runs across town, he says he gets to the outer gate, and he begins knocking on the door, and little Rhoda, one of the servant girls, runs to the door and says, who is it? He's like, it's Peter, I just escaped from jail, let me in. She's like, "Ah, it sounds like Peter. And she runs in, and they're praying, Lord, would you please release Peter? We just do anything you can. Make it a miracle if you could. Just get him out of his bonds. Just let him go. And the Rhoda's like, come. Peter's at the door. And they're like, Lord, would you please release Peter? Rhoda, shh. We're praying Peter would be released. Lord, would you please release Peter? She's like, no, he's at the door. And they open the door, and there's Peter standing there. What a lesson for us, huh? How many times are we on our faces crying out and begging God for answers that he's already provided? See, God uses humor a number of times. But, but we're in the book of Proverbs, right? And so we need to deal with some of the humorous things that are in the book of Proverbs. Before I move on any further, here's one of my personal favorites, Proverbs chapter 19, 24. It says, the, the slacker buries his hand in the bowl. He doesn't even bring it back to his mouth. See, the lazy person, in Solomon's eyes, doesn't even have enough initiative. After he takes a chip, dips it in the guac, and he's like, oh, I just ain't got the motivation, man. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so, so, so Solomon's ripping on the lazy guy here. Solomon does the same thing with the, the lazy man here. The slacker, the lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. I can't go to work. How many excuses have you and I used? It's raining. I can't go to church. 
I said that the last time, and it flooded down there. So you guys should pray. <laughs> you should pray. Now, now I got to deal with these just because they're there, and I have to deal with them. And I got to tell you, I'm like, but I'm going to deal with them because it's Bible, it's biblical, it's scriptural, it's God's word, right? Amen? Amen. Huh. All right, let's move on real quick. All right, one more. Now, you got to remember something about Solomon, okay? So let me explain. We should pray right now and be done. (laughs) In reality, Solomon has 300 wives and 700 concubines. It doesn't matter how awesome the women in his life are. With that sheer volume of women in his life, I'm sure he heard a little bit of nagging. And he's like, the nagging, it's like the continuous dripping of a faucet, which would be hilarious if she was nagging him about the faucet that he didn't fix, but that's a whole other point. And he's like, it's better that you go sit up on the top of your house, in the corner of your house. So today, as you're driving home, if you see dudes up there in folding chairs playing cards at the top of their house, you're like, just being biblical, man. <laughs> She's driving me crazy. Um, that being said, remember this. Solomon is also the one who said, the man who finds a wife finds a beautiful thing. So remember that. He's not all bad, and he wrote it. I didn't. Okay. Those were the ones I was really nervous about, actually. Um, so, so humor. Uh, Jesus used humor, didn't he? I think sometimes what happens with people who are too smart for their own good is they try to explain away his humor. And they remove all of the the power of the moment that Jesus is using in his interaction with people. One of my favorite moments, and actually it's it's, it's a great sarcastic comment that Jesus makes. In John chapter 1, he's still calling his disciples to himself. And it says that he calls Philip and he says, follow me. And Philip, who was from Bethsaida, goes and finds Nathanael and he says, you're not going to believe this. I have found the one that Moses was speaking about. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's uh, famous response is, can anything good actually come from Nazareth? Okay. Philip's response to him is perfect. Just just come and see. So Nathaniel comes with Philip to see Jesus. And he looks at Jesus. And as he's coming, Jesus looks at Nathaniel and says, now there is a man in whom there is no deceit found. And Nathaniel's like, wait, hold on, man. How do you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were sitting underneath that fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel's response is, oh, Rabbi, you must be the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Now, get that for a moment. How do you know me? I know you because I just saw you over there a few minutes ago. And Nathaniel's like, whoa, You're the son of God. And Jesus' response in verse 50 of John chapter 1 is this. Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Wow, you're going to see a lot greater things than that. I mean, it's like that easy moment where like, wow, this guy's easy to impress. Um, Jesus, in dealing with religious people and Pharisees in particular, really employs a lot of of humor. He he talks, and he really goes at their religious practices a lot of times. He talks about their praying, and he's like, listen, you're you're praying to be seen. You're standing over here, so the lights are shining on you. You're like, oh, Lord, would you please beseech us to follow every... It's like your dad at Thanksgiving when you're starving. He's like, let's let's say grace. 
Father, we thank you for the farmers. We thank you for the ones who have raised this turkey. We thank you for the ones who took all the feathers out of the turkey. I thank you for the heat that you gave to us to put in the oven to make this bird taste so good. I thank you for the salt. I thank you for the pepper. And little Johnny, who's like 11, starving, he's like, I'm just going to shiv him right in the back. You're going to stop talking. I'm hungry, Papa. He's like, so he makes fun of the religious people and the way they pray. He makes fun of the way they fast. He says, are you fasting? Then, then stop looking so miserable. Wash your face. Change your clothes instead of walking around like, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm fasting for the Lord. I love the Lord. I want to magnify the Lord. Oh, please don't look at me. I'm just starving. And he's like, what are you doing? Okay, good, 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 good. They saw you. You got your reward. So Jesus makes fun of the way they fast. He makes fun of the way they tithe. This one, he throws in a couple of zingers. He's like, you guys are so spiritual that you're tithing off your spice rack. You're looking, you're walking in your house, you're like, we got mint, how much mint? Okay, a couple of leaves of mint for me, a couple for God. A couple of cumin for me, some for God. He says, you, you are so ridiculous that, that you are straining at a gnat. You've done that, right? You have a tea or maybe a Coke, and you go to drink it, and you see a little bug floating on the top, and you're like, and he's like, you're, you're so worried about the gnat. You're like, oh, I'm not going to drink that. There's a gnat in it. And yet you get this saucer filled with a camel and you're like, oh. I mean, it's the picture of Jesus trying to make fun of them is, is pretty amazing. And the disciples come back to him. They're like, listen, Jesus, do you know you've offended them? And Jesus says, I know. We're not going to worry about them though. Matthew 15, verse 14, they're blind guides. And if the blind guides other blind people, both of them are going to fall into a pit. Now, I think sometimes we hear that from a spiritual lens. We're like, oh, that is deep. No, it's comedy. Have you ever been on a guided tour? Maybe Gettysburg? Would it not be hilarious if the dude leading the tour was blind? If you look to your left, I got nothing. <laughs> to the right, yeah, nope. Straight ahead, I see nothing but utter darkness. I mean, are you going to tip him? No, and that's Jesus' point. He's like, how foolish are you that you would sign up for that tour? You get the moment where Jesus interacts with the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler says, how can I get to heaven? And he says, well, you, you, you follow the law. And he's like, I've done all that. He's like, good, then go sell all of your possessions. And the rich young ruler walks away and he says, I'm not selling my possessions because, long and short of it is, the possessions were his God. Jesus knew this. Jesus says, so as he's explaining to his disciples, man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. Now, historians about 800 to 900 years later, after Jesus said this, began trying to explain this statement by saying, oh, there's a gate in the city that's called the eye of the needle, and a camel, the camel to get through it would get down on all four and it would kind of, you know, shimmy through the eye of the needle. When have you seen a camel shimmy, first of all? But the camel, and, and that explains it. That's, that's how this works. When, when in fact, the point is this, they missed the joke. Jesus says, no, it's, it's like, like, like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. Okay? Camel, needle. So how well do you think that's going to work? Well, here you go. Not real well. Um, poor camel. The, the idea is this, Jesus is using humor to drive home the point to these people. Um, however, that being said, I think you and I need to understand that Jesus makes fun of us a little bit too, doesn't he? You know that whole judge not that you be not judged kind of thing? 
That's got blown way out of proportion. What he's trying to say in Matthew chapter 7 is, first, you, you deal with your own sin before you even think about looking at somebody else's. And you know the verse, take the log out of your own eye before you take the, the speck of dirt out of their eye. So, it, it's similar to this. There's a little, I got this little tiny splinter. No, I should go this way. Sorry, hang on. I'm going to drop it. There you go. Hey, brother, you got this little splinter in your eye. I mean, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. If you come over here, maybe we can work on that for you. Come here, let me, let me see. Oh, sorry. Let me see. How about you? It's a ridiculous picture, isn't it? Now I really got something in my eye. <laughs> it's a ridiculous picture. But the reality is, this is the way we live every day. Folks, what I, what I want you to know is this. When it comes to humor, you and I should take God seriously. Take God seriously. And then understand that, that, that orthodoxy is no joke, doctrine is no joke. We take Him seriously. And then remember that as, as humanity, we're the joke. We're the ones that have messed this up every which way possible. We're the ones that have gotten it so long that God, so wrong that God has to look down on us and just think it's hilarious sometimes. Like they, they really think that's what I'm going for? We need to see ourselves as ridiculous. We need to see the depths of our sin being so great and God's mercy being so just out of this world where it makes absolutely no sense. How, how could God possibly love me when I'm this far gone? How could God dump his mercy out on me? That makes no sense. I mean, that's three stooges comedic right there. But God, who is rich in mercy, loved us with an everlasting and undeniable love. That's what we need to celebrate. See, there, are, there is nobody in this world alive today, who should laugh more than those of us who can look at the future with a smile because we know we're going to see Jesus face to face. There is nobody who should laugh more at some of the moronic things that happen in our culture today because we know who holds the future in his hand. We need to stop taking ourselves so seriously. We need to stop taking ourselves so seriously. We need to fall on our faces before God and thank him that he's got a sense of humor and that he's willing to endure us. So let me ask you this. Are you laughing? Are you a person who's, who's marked by laughter? A person who's free to laugh about certain things is a person who understands that his sins are forgiven. The person that laughs freely is the person that understands that Jesus, in defeating death and the grave, ripped the teeth out of the lion of death. And now it's as harmless as a little kitty cat. Our future is sure. And it's a future that is filled with hope and with joy. Let's laugh more. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I, I, I am thankful for this morning. I love our church. I love the fact that we are marked by, by, by laughter. Father, that we're not ashamed to laugh. We're not ashamed to celebrate what you've done for us. God, I thank you that, that in the days that are most dark, we still have a reason to laugh. We still have opportunities to, to smile knowing that, that no matter how difficult the day is, the future is already secure. God, I pray that as we 
continue moving forward in our life, that we would continue to focus on you and see you and only you. And God, that we would cling to you in those days where it's going to be way easier to cry than to laugh. I pray for the soul and the heart of the one who is sore right now, who, who, who simply is marked by mourning. Father, would that season pass quickly? Would you use us to surround them, to encourage them? And Lord, may, may we all fix our eyes on Jesus because in all of this, it's him. It's not about how funny we are. It's not about how funny you are. It's not about how funny we think the story is. It's about Jesus. And with Jesus, we have hope. So God, may we rest in that hope today. For it's in his good name I pray. Amen.